baby. This is where it's all going down. The, the streets are lit. There's people everywhere. There's a party going on in here. And so we figured we'd come to Vegas because it is the one place where you can ruin your life, right? I mean, you can ruin it all in one night. You see, we've been in this series called How to Ruin Your Life in Five Easy Steps, and we've been talking about some of the things that can really cost you in your life. And, and, and one of them, of course, was this idea of ignoring the law of consequences, right? And, and then we talked about this idea of just refusing responsibility. Just refuse to take responsibility for your life. That will mess you up. And then we talked about how you can just go through life carrying a grudge and just being bitter. That will screw you up every time. And then last week, it got all up and crazy in the house when we talked about just go sex crazy and that will take you nowhere fast. Well, today we're talking about a whole new thing that can ruin your life. And we're talking about the idea of how habits, the wrong habits can screw you up. And we thought this would be a great place to come and illustrate this because if you're looking up and down the city, this is a place where there's lights everywhere and these lights are calling your name. They're reaching out to you. And, and you think about this idea of a habit in your life. Habits are, are your core. Habits are what drives you. Habits are those things that, that control you, that you do on impulse. And when you come to a place like this, it's all calling your name. It's all reaching out to you. And if you don't have the right habits built into your soul, it will take you down. The Bible speaks about this idea that there is an angel of light, the enemy of God. He, he appears as an angel of light and he calls your name. And, and in a place like this, all of it is calling your name. Food, gambling, sex, it's all here. You can ruin it all in one simple night. And so we're going to talk about the habits that control your life. And, uh, and what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Vegas can get all up and crazy. No, no. No, about as crazy as I get is bumping into somebody because I'm mesmerized by all the lights. Wow, you know, that's about as crazy as it gets. Uh, but seriously, the reason uh, we were in uh, Vegas this week was to actually shoot video for our Easter 2015 celebration. I'm so excited about this. I hope and I pray that you and your family will come. I hope that you'll reach out to somebody uh, because we're going to try to make it a very special thing as we launch a brand new series at that point called Famous Last Words. And it's going to be really, really great as we celebrate God, life, and the greatest thing Ever. So you want to be there. Y'all with me on that? All right. So when I was in Vegas, I was amazed uh, to find how, how easy it was to lose your focus, how everything was vying for your attention. Like, like you would just walk down the strip and every 10 feet, it seems like they had to one up the last guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, so one guy builds a, oh, you know, like a like an Egyptian pyramid styled hotel out of glass and shines lights everywhere. And you go, oh, wow. And it captures your attention. Uh, but then you realize the guy next door had to one up him. And so he builds the Roman Colosseum for a hotel, right? And if that's not good enough, the next guy comes along and builds like the Hawaiian islands where it's surrounded by water, like Vegas is in the desert and they literally, they surround this place with the water and they had like fire coming out of volcanoes and everything. It was just 
crazy. I mean, it's just crazy. The idea how everything is just calling for your attention. They, they built this like 80 foot LED wall and you go, wow. And then you walk 20 feet and then somebody builds a hundred foot one. You walk 20 foot more and then somebody builds a 120 foot one. It's always something more. Any White Castle fans in the house? White Castle? This blew my mind. On the strip, they have a White Castle that literally looks like an old English castle. I mean, it's like the real deal. I mean, it's like huge, right? And the place is packed out. Somebody else builds a, uh, a like a full size, like, I mean, you would swear it's like an ocean going uh, vessel. It's like a pirate ship from the 1700s. And it's like, that's what you got to do to sell you a hamburger, right? Uh, it, it's this idea that Everything is calling your name, everything. And, and listen, if you, um, if you got ADD, I would not recommend going to Vegas for any reason at all. As a matter of fact, if you don't have ADD, you will have it by the time you leave. I mean, it's just, that's what it is there. Uh, but it's amazing how easy it is to lose your focus, isn't it? It really is. I, I want you to think about this. I, I want you to think about the one thing in your life that if you were to truly dial into it, if you were really to focus it, to, to challenge yourself with it, and it can be different for anybody. It can be, um, for one person, it could be a relationship. For others, it could be finances. For others, it could be health. For others, it could be career or marriage or parenting or whatever it is. It's different for all of us. But, but there's that one thing that if you were really to dial into, that you were to focus on, you would have to say that, man, six months or 12 months from now, your life would just be in a way better place, wouldn't you? I mean, there's something in you there's something rattling around, some challenge, some, some a goal, some dream that you need to accomplish or some challenge that you need to overcome that if you were to dial in and somehow beat that, grow through that, overcome that, that your life would be in a whole different place. And I would venture to say a whole better place, every single one of us. So I want to talk to you about the power of focus, focusing on the one thing in our life. And you see, we're in this series called How to Ruin Your Life in Five Easy Steps. And if you haven't picked one of the steps to ruin your life with, maybe you're still weighing out the options here. I got the best option of, of them all for you. You want to ruin your life? Simply lose focus. Simply forget what your soul is all about. Simply forget who you are. Forget your values. Forget the promises that you've made in your life. Forget the commitments that you've made. Just lose focus. Simply forget. And here's, here's the biggest one of all. If you want to be sure that you will not end up where you hope to end up in life, friends, I'm telling you, just simply forget God. Forget his voice. Forget his leadership. Forget his word. Forget his care over you. Forget his call on your life. I'm telling you, every single time when we forget who we really are and whose we really are, we will never rise to the levels of greatness that God wants for us. We will never become the people that God wants us to become. That's just the truth. Um, so how many in the room would say this? You would admit like, hey, Pastor Jay, there is something in my life that at one point God has called me to, that you just know, and let me put another word, maybe, maybe for you it wasn't like a God thing, but maybe for you it was something that you just knew that you had to do. And so was there something at some point in your life you said, I have to do this. There's something I'm, I have to focus in on and overcome or a challenge I got to take or something I got to grow to. Or has there ever been somebody in, has there been somebody in the room that's because, yeah, that was me. I had something in my life, but somehow, some way uh, you lost focus. Focus. You got distracted and you never completed the very thing that you knew that you were supposed to do. Anybody? Anybody? The rest of you are liars. <laughs> it is so easy to feel that you're called to something, 
to know that you're called to something, that there's something greater for you. And yet to lose focus, to become distracted. So we're going to spend some time in one of my all-time favorite uh, Bible passages, one of my favorite Bible stories, and it's from the Old Testament. And eventually we're going to drive into one simple verse, only one verse that we're going to just really dial in on. Uh, But I'm going to tell you something. It is... um, One of the thoughts in scripture that has just gripped my heart is it has challenged me personally to elevate my games in ways that I never thought was possible in my life. Uh, It has captured my soul, this kind of a thought. And and my hope is, and my prayer is, is that it will do something to grab onto you and it will will do something to challenge you in what you want to focus on in your life. Um, So again, my guess is that everyone in this room, um, everyone in this room has something that you would like to change. Everyone in this room has something about you that you would like to challenge, that you would like to accomplish. And you could call it a habit. Uh, you can call it an unmet goal. You can call it a struggle. But there's something in you. And if you could push a magic transport button that would transport you 12 months into the future, you would be so glad if this wasn't part of your life anymore. You'd be so glad. You'd be in a better place if you had beaten that thing, whatever it is. Anybody like that in the room would say, yeah, that's probably me. There is something in my life that if I could just transport 12 months in advance and it'd be gone, my life would be in a whole better place. Anybody? Yeah. I think hands up all over the place. And it can be different for all of us. Um, Again, it can be broken relationships. It can be career goals that you never met. It could be tackling debt or an addiction or, or, or weight issues or health issues or overcoming anxiety or overcoming fear in your life. It could be all kinds of things um, that you know that God wants you to go to or to overcome or to beat or to focus in on, but you can't seem to ever win. But I'm telling you, friends, if somehow we learn to dial into this, and we learn how to beat some of these things in our life. Our life will be so much better served because of it. And we can become all that God has for us to become. We can do what God wants us to do when we allow his assistance in our life and taking us to where we need to go. So let's look at this Old Testament Bible story. It comes from the book of Nehemiah. And if you're not a Bible reader, I just want to kind of catch you up a little bit on this story. And then I want to lead us to this one verse of scripture. And again, it's so simple, but I want us to learn this verse. I want to teach this verse to us because um, it's so gripped my life. It has so challenged my life. And my, my prayer, again, is that you walk out of here challenged about that one thing challenged about that one thing in your life where you need to go to another level. You need to dial in and beat it and beat it. All right, y'all with me on this? Um, And then we're going to look back 12 months from now and we're going to praise God for his work inside of us. Amen? Amen? Okay, so here's the story of Nehemiah. It begins uh, in 444 BC. That was a long, long time ago. It takes place during the time of the Persian Empire. Anybody remember the Persian Empire? King Araxerxes is the um, emperor. Uh, Y'all remember Araxerxes? Anybody remember? Do you remember Persian rugs? Anybody? You people, come on. Forget you guys. But the Persian Empire was ruling the land. And uh, uh, Xerxes, Eric Xerxes was the emperor and Nehemiah works directly for the king of Persia. And the palace was located in the city called Susa. Susa was the capital of the empire. Uh, And Nehemiah works directly um, for the king and he is called, his job description is called the cupbearer to the king. And so what's a cupbearer to the king? The cupbearer is somebody who, who tastes 
the food and drinks the drink before the king tastes the food and drinks the drink. Now, why do you think that the king would need a cupbearer at all? Why do you think king would have to have somebody to stand between him and the kitchen? It wasn't quality control of food, that's for sure. You know why it is, right? It's be, be because, because when you're the king, a lot of people want you dead. You've made a lot of enemies at this point in your life. And one of the great ways to get rid of somebody back in ancient days was poisoning, was poisoning. And so the cupbearer, his job was to make sure that anything that came out of the kitchen is secure before it comes to the king. And so the king trusts the cupbearer. And so if the cupbearer will eat and drink that which comes out of the kitchen, and because the king trusts him, the king now thinks it's safe for him to eat and drink whatever comes out of the kitchen. But Nehemiah was way more than just uh, an empire official. He was way more than a cupbearer to the king. Uh, We really learned that he is a friend of the emperor, um, that that he has a a, a personal enough relationship with him. him. And here's where it gets really interesting because we learned that Nehemiah, uh, he, he was a Jewish man. Uh, we don't know if he ever visited his homeland of Israel. We don't know if he ever went back to Jerusalem to worship there. But, uh, but we know that he was a Jewish man. And his family uh, had lived in Persia for a really long time. You see, over 100 years before this time that we're talking about now, I'll go back 100 years earlier, there was an empire called the Babylonians. Anybody remember the Babylonians? Babylonians? Well, they came in. And they, they ruled the Middle East and they came in and they swept down through Israel and totally annihilated Israel. They, they, they took over the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed all the walls, destroyed the city, destroyed the temple where the people worshiped. And more than that, this was at the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king over Babylon. Anybody remember the name Nebuchadnezzar? Well, he took, his practice was that when he comes into a city, he would take slaves out of that city and bring them back to the capital, right? And so... You you may remember some very famous people in history that King Nebuchadnezzar took as slaves. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anybody? Or maybe the man named Daniel. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? Well, Nebuchadnezzar took them as slaves along with Nehemiah's family. So now fast forward 100 years later, the Persians come along and they defeat the Babylonian empire. Now they're top dogs in the world. Now they rule the world. They're the dominant empire on earth. And Nehemiah is working directly for the single most powerful man on the planet, the king of Persia. And something strange at this point happens in Nehemiah's soul. Um, God starts to rattle something around. He hears some news that his homeland, the people of Israel, uh, and in particular, the city of Jerusalem lay in waste. It was devastated from a hundred years ago from the Babylonians. It had never been rebuilt and his people were were sick. His, His people were struggling. His people were broken and God speaks to him and he wants to go and do something about it. He wants to return to his family's homeland in order to bring leadership, in order to bring hope, in order to bring a new direction to them to somehow alleviate their Suffering, And so he does something incredibly, incredibly risky. Nehemiah, this Jewish man, he goes before the king, the most powerful man on the planet. Uh, but before he goes, by the way, before the king, he, he prays a crazy, big, uh, obnoxious level type of a prayer. And he asks God to open the heart of the king. Pretty incredible. He prays this very audacious prayer. God, do something great inside of the king so that he will show favor 
on me. Now, what's interesting uh, is that Nehemiah goes in and he asks for the king to give him a bunch of time off work so he can go back to Israel and help his people there. But the thing is, um, Nehemiah was not an employee of the king. We learned that Nehemiah was a slave of the king. And how much time do slaves get off work? Zero. And so he goes in and does something very risky. He asks the king to give a slave time off work, to trust him. And God does an amazing thing. The king, um, Artaxerxes, he literally responds to Nehemiah in an incredibly favorable light. He, he not only gives him the time off work, he not only gives him the freedom to travel, but he, but he does something absolutely unthinkable. He makes this Jewish slave the governor over all the land of Judah which makes him the mayor or the leader over the city of Jerusalem. And, and not only that, not only does he empower him to lead, but he does something more. He, he literally gives him all the supplies and all the money and all the people that it would take to go back and rebuild these walls. And so, so Nehemiah, of course, he's feeling not only has he found favor with, with the king, but at this point, because he prayed to God for this favor, he thinks God is showing favor on him. And so what does he do? He, he starts to gather all the people, all the supplies, all the money that he needs. And then he makes this, this voyage to Jerusalem, this very long trip to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he finds out that it was worse than he ever imagined, that the city lay absolutely decimated and that the people surrounding the city were a bunch of warlords who, who were ruling over the city, who were abusing the Jewish people, and they were surrounded by these people and that the city really was just a playground for evil. It was way worse than he ever imagined. There, was, there were no walls to protect them. Now, you and I, it's, it's a little hard to even comprehend this idea, but the walls meant something. In ancient days, the walls meant what? Protection. The, the walls meant community. When you're, when you're in here, you're safe in here. The walls meant economic prosperity. The, the walls meant that you could have safety in your life. And, and so at this point, there were no walls and there was no national pride. And most of all, there was no sense of God being with the people of Israel. Um, it's recorded that the people of Israel had lost their history. They had no sense of who they were and whose they were. And this broke the hearts of Nehemiah. He gets to the city, and it's interesting because it records that when he gets there, his, his heart is literally devastated by what he sees. And it records how he goes around on horseback and he looks over the entire city. He spends all day and all night. He refuses to sleep that first day. And he goes and he prays to the city. He observes the whole city. And, and, and he talks to a whole bunch of people. And he, and he comes up with this thought. It's very interesting. He, 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 he realizes that there's a whole bunch of work to be done. There's all kinds of things to be done. But he says to himself, if I do only one thing while I'm in the city of Jerusalem, the one thing that I have to do that we must complete is rebuilding the walls. Oh yeah, he says, we, we got to do something about the economics. We got to do something uh, about the security of the people. We got we to put leaders in place. We got we to somehow restore faith to the city, but it's all going to be centered around these walls. He's absolutely convinced that he has to rebuild the walls. And so Nehemiah, what he does is he calls all the people of the city together. And then he puts word out around the city. 
Can you see this in your head? He calls all the people together and says, we got to do something about this. And then he calls all the people who were Jewish who lived outside the walls and he calls them all into the city. And, and, and he does something that's absolutely amazing. And you may not be like, like a, a follower of Christ. You may not be a big Bible person, but I, I want you to go back and read this uh, for yourself. The, the story of Nehemiah is incredible. Um, there are no miracles in it. Uh, which is an amazing thing. There are no miracles. Uh, Jesus was not born. So if that's a problem for you, you know, walking on the water and all that, that's way before this, you know, way before that time. But what you see in this storyline is you see a man who feels compelled by God to do something, who somehow finds this and dials into this and focuses in on this. And he leads a destituted people into greatness. And so you want a clinic for leadership, you go back and read Nehemiah for yourself. Matter of fact, if you're trying to figure out how to lead your own life and find vision for your own life, you go back and read the book of Nehemiah. I guarantee you, it'll be so challenging to you. It'll be unbelievable to you. So what, what do we have here is, this is a huge, huge thing, huge thing because he takes the people in and he says, classic leadership. He comes in and says, we got ourselves a problem here. Do we need to spell out the problem? Yes. The problem is, is we're a broken people and our walls are broken down. There's no sense of community. There's no city left. There's no national pride left. And he says, so we got a problem and we're going to fix the problem. And the problem is going to be fixed by all of us being part of the solution. If you want to cry about it, if you want to complain about it, then you better be willing to fix it. And if you want to pray about it, then you better be willing to put your feet into motion. Amen? And so he calls people together and he gives them this vision. And the people miraculously start to rally around this, this vision. But what the problem becomes for Nehemiah is that those who are on the outside of the city who are not part of the Jewish community, uh, they immediately feel threatened by this. And you would too, right? Because they're going, uh-oh, there goes our economic engine. There goes our freedom to pillage and tape, take and rape the people. There goes our livelihood. There goes our authority and our power and our influence in the region. If Nehemiah somehow can complete this crazy idea of rebuilding the walls, then we're done for because they remembered Israel's history, that they will somehow build an army again and they will somehow be a people again, a nation again, and they can't push them around anymore. And so the people start to... um, uh, get, get all uh, worried about all uh, Nehemiah building these walls. Now, there was a leader in the op- opposition party. His name was San- Sanzbalat. And he uh, was one of the warlords outside of, of the walls of Jerusalem. And he had a lot of influence in that region. And Sanzbalat takes it upon himself, decides for himself that he will not allow the Jews to rebuild these walls. He will not allow them to become a people again. And so he begins to send spies into the city. You go back and read the story for yourself. It's amazing. He begins to send these spies to get all kinds of information. And then he sends these spies into the city to start rumors. You know, like when you start working on something and somebody is standing right next to you, discouraging you, like, hey, you know, this is a total waste of time, don't you? This will never happen, don't you? You don't have enough strength, enough money, enough uh, willpower to get this job done. It becomes very discouraging. Anybody with me on that? You know what I'm talking about? And so Sanzibalet, he begins to, to send people into the city to start these rumors, and he begins to send threats into the city. He says that the emperor has changed his mind. Oh, he's heard that the emperor is sending an army to come and to wipe out Nehemiah and his efforts. So he's sending all these rumors and all these threats into the, into the city. But all the way through, the walls keep getting higher and higher and higher. 
Nothing seems to distract Nehemiah and the people. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to lead a people. Very easy for people to get distracted. Very easy. But these people were dialed in. And there was something in their soul. And they knew God was calling them to do. Something that God was calling them to build. And they dialed into that. And the walls kept getting higher and higher. And so Sansbalit and his friends, they decide that a different strategy is needed. Threats didn't work. Rumors didn't work. Discouragement didn't work. As a matter of fact, at one point, they sent an army against the people. And this is an amazing thing because Nehemiah is leading these men and they're, this, like, they're being attacked, physically attacked. And they're like, we're in war now. And the people of Israel, the, the scripture records this, mind-blowing, but it says that in one hand, they have a sword and in the other hand, they're laying brick. Wah! Ninja skills. Wah! You know? And, and, and guess what? They have victory. They have victory. And then Nehemiah, being a great leader that he is, he says, well, if you're going to play at that game, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call the women to the front line. And we're going to let the children do the building. We're going to put men all on the outside. And we're going to guard. And we're going to stand guard 24-7. Because we are going to build this place. Together. We're going to build it. And so Sansblit is a little bit discouraged at this point. And so he takes a different strategy. He, he tries a whole new attack on it. He tries to simply distract Nehemiah from his cause. Anybody ever feel like you had a cause, but the enemy just kind of just has a funny way of distracting you? Anybody? Yeah. And he, and, he, and he goes about this idea of just distracting him. And what he thinks is this. We learned that he thinks if he can get Nehemiah to come down off the wall and join him out of town, he will kill Nehemiah personally. Because if he kills Nehemiah, he figures all these other people, they're going to go home. They're going to stop the fight. That, that this is all because of this one man. And so he decides that he's going to try to trick Nehemiah into joining him outside of the walls, right? So here's what happens in, in the book of Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible or a smartphone, uh, I would love for you to go there. We're going to spend just a little bit of time in Nehemiah chapter 6. If not, we got it up on the screens for you right here. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, and here it, it begins with these words. Now when Sansbalit, that's that main character, that's the main nemesis, he's the enemy of all that is great in Nehemiah's life, right? And Tobiah, that's a sidekick, and Geshem the Arab, that's another sidekick. And the rest of all of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it. Now pause for a second. So the people are starting to, they're starting to hear and they're starting to see and they're starting to know that, that the wall is nearing completion, right? They're looking, they're going, uh-oh, uh-oh, if they get done with this wall, and we're going to learn in a second, he says, I had not yet finished the doors. I had not yet rebuilt the gates. And so they're almost at the done level. They're almost there. And he's going, we got to do something right now. And so when Sansblit and the others realize this, we're going to learn that they send letters to Nehemiah. Check this out. It says, it says so these guys, they, they realize this, and they send letters to, to Nehemiah, Sansblit and Geshem, verse 2, sent me a letter saying, come and let us meet together. So they send a messenger to the city and they knock on, he's up on an aluminum ladder, 20 feet in the air, and they're knocking on the ladder going, hey, Nehemiah, we got a letter for you. And the letter, he's like, what is it? What does it say? And, and this is what they say. They say, come 
let, let us meet together. They're like, hey, let's just get together for lunch. Hey, hey, let's just get together and grab a coffee and hang out. We can be friends. See, what are they doing? They're trying a whole new tactic, very subtle. Subtle distraction, a subtle temptation. Hey, 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 come down. Maybe we'll, we'll grab a sandwich, maybe a movie, hang out, right? But listen, listen to this. And it says, and where are we going to do this? We're going to do it at Heck Purim, the, in the plain of Ono. Oh, no, don't go there, right? And, and why? Well, literally, that, if you were to study the Hebrew on that, that's not a, a very specific village. What that is is a place outside of the town. Why do they want to go outside of town? Because he won't be protected by the people anymore. He won't be protected by the walls anymore. And so they're trying to get him to meet outside of town. Hey, let's just hang out and meet outside of town. But listen to this. He wasn't stupid. Nehemiah wasn't dumb. He knew exactly what they were trying to do. He says, but they intended to do me what? harm. They wanted to kill him. He's like, if I go out there, they're going to kill me. And, and here comes his reply. And this is what grips my soul. And this is what I pray to God that you get into your soul right here. This is his reply. When the temptations are coming, when the rumors are coming, when the distractions are coming, when everything in your life is starting to lose focus, when you can't seem to maintain the course that you know God has set for you, listen to his reply. This will blow your little mind. It says this, verse three, verse three, are you ready for this? He says, and I sent a messenger to them to knock on their little ladder. And this is what I told them. I am doing a great work and I can't come down. Now, like six of you get it. We need, to, we need to learn this verse together. Matter of fact, we are going to say this out loud together. We need to learn this and get this into our soul together. Here's what it says. On three, I need you to help me out. One, two, we're going to say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. One, two, three. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Not bad. Do it again. Do it again. Listen, do it again. Hold on. On three. One, two, three. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Let me tell you something, friends. God has called you to something. God has spoken into your life. God has called you to change something, to defeat something, to win something, to grow into something, to become something. Maybe it's a relationship that has been broken for a long time. Maybe it's debt that you can never seem to overcome. Maybe it's habits. Maybe it's addictions. I don't know what it is, but he has called you to something, to build a wall, and you are doing a great thing. Do not come down. Do not come down. God has called you to something greater in your life. Don't ruin it by losing focus, by being tempted by being distracted, by saying, oh, that looks really nice over there. Oh, look at the lights. Look at the lights. Are you crazy? You know exactly what God is speaking into your life right now for you to overcome, to, to challenge, to move past, to grow over. You know it. Why do you keep going back to the same old, same old? He wants us to do a great work. I cannot come down. You must focus in. You must dial in. You need, you need to say with Nehemiah that right here, like Nehemiah said, listen, you need to say this about your own life. You need to say right here in this spot, in this family, in this relationship, in this friendship, in this parenting, in this struggle, in this career, in this ministry, in this service, 
I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I cannot. I cannot stop it. I can't give in. I can't let up. I can't lay down. I can't rest in this. We need to say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And you go back and read the rest of Nehemiah for yourself. It's an amazing story. These men, these distractors, these enemies of all that was great in Nehemiah's life, they did not stop. Do you realize they just come, they just kept coming one after another, after another, one distract. Anybody find this in your life that when you start to lock into something good, when you start to lock into something that God's calling you to, isn't it amazing how it's like every day you get out of bed, there's a new distraction. Anybody who's just me. There's a, there's a new temptation. There's a new uh, way to lose focus and lose direction. It's just amazing, isn't it? And this is the case for Nehemiah. But guess what? He did not stop. He didn't come down off the wall. He's like, I ain't coming down until I get this wall built. You're crazy. I'm not doing it. Because listen, what they, they, they kept sending him these messages, these temptations, these distractions kept coming his way. And it says, one time they came at me. No, four times. And that was his way of saying it was over and over and over. It was more than one, more than two, more than three. They just kept piling on. And it says, and I answer them the same way every stinking time. I'm doing a great work. And I am not coming down. Not for you. And not for anybody. No matter what. And so what do these guys do? They, they, if you go back and read this story, it's amazing. They tried all kinds of different tactics. They tried to soft sell it like, hey, you know, we can work it out in your schedule. We'll make it easy for you to come down off the wall. Where do you want to meet? Just you name the place. We're buying. We're buying like my people will contact your people and we'll make it all happen. And it was just one thing after another thing. Has anybody ever noticed that the enemy makes it really easy for you to bow to temptation? Really easy. He just lays it right in front of you. He said, right in front of me every day. And Nehemiah was like, I ain't coming down. Do you realize what I'm doing? Do you realize who it is that called me to this? Do you, do you realize how good and how great God is? And he's never abandoned me or forsaken me. And why would I come after you when I got him? He says, I'm doing a great work. And I'm not coming down, but, and this becomes so significant to us because uh, Nehemiah, think about this, if he had come down off of that wall, Sansabelt and his friends, they would have killed him. They would have taken his life. And do you realize that there are things right now that God has called you to that if you get off that wall, if you stop building, if you come down and bow to those distractions, if you bow to that lack of focus, if you bow to those people who are calling your name, that it will ruin your life there are relationships that if you give up on or if you go into that if you run that course and you don't stay focused on God and what he has for you they will ruin your life they have the potential listen friends um, they have the potential think about this relationally they have the potential to destroy us or if we wanted to use uh, Nehemiah's term he says to kill me there's potential in your relationships if you don't stay focused that will kill your family. It'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your kids and your grandkids. It'll kill your legacy. If you don't stay focused to the end, it will destroy you. There are things out there that want to destroy you. 
There's things that you're entertaining that want to destroy you. Don't come down from that wall. You are doing a great work. You cannot possibly come down. Some of you right now, you're facing things physically that are literally going to kill you, that could destroy you physically. And what you're doing, you're just like playing dumb. You're just ignoring it. You're saying, I hope it will go away. I'll worry about it later in my life. There are health issues, weight issues, uh, mental issues that you're just kind of keep pushing off, keep pushing off. And you're like at this point of ignoring it. And here's what you do. You say to your husband, you say, don't you dare bring that up again. You say to your wife, don't you dare bring that up again. You, You ignore the doctor's phone calls thinking that somehow it will just go away in your life. But friends, if you don't focus in on it, it will destroy you. Do, do you realize? It will ruin you. It'll destroy you. You will be killed over some of these things. And people go, now, Pastor Jay, this is not really spiritual stuff. This isn't like church stuff. Why don't we talk about God things? What are you talking about? All things are spiritual. Amen. All things. Do you realize everything belongs to God? Have you ever, have you ever uh, seen anybody ser- serve God without a body? Duh! Of course! The body is deeply spiritual. And God says, you need to attend to some things. You need to focus in on some things this year. Now, could you imagine if you focus in what it would be like a year from now? Woo! That's good news right there, Pastor Jay. Yeah, yeah. This is true. Um, Listen, friends, this goes to every level of our life and to every area of our life. For some of you, you're, you're, if you're like a parent listening, this is what Lynette and I do. And maybe some of you need to do this. But we would go and, and we still do this. We sit on the bedside of our kids. We got little ones. If you got little ones, real little ones, we go up on their bed. We've been doing this for years. And we just go and sit at their bed. They might be sleeping. They might be awake. And we'll rub their little hair, stroke their little hair. And we'll pray over them. We'll speak God's word over to them. And we'll pray for God to do great and mighty things in their life. Friends, this is the work that God has called me to, and I will not come down. I will not come down. And, and, and some of you, um, it's a little older, you know, uh, you, you need to say, this is the focus of my life. This is where God has called me. He's called you to invest in your kids. Listen, some of y'all have teenagers and you need to do the same thing. You need to go into their room. I wouldn't go stroking their hair. That gets a little bit weird when they're teenagers, but, but you get the idea. You go and uh, you, you, we do this. My kids will be asleep and they'll be real late at night. We'll just go. We just pray God's spirit all over their lives. And we ask God to do something even greater in their life than he's done in ours. This is what God has called us to. This is a great work and we will not come down off this wall. And some of you need to realize that you are investing in your kids and your grandkids. People go, I'm a grandpa now. I don't have to do all that. What? Do you think God has said, okay, now go play golf for the rest of your life and then die? That's ridiculous. You are called to a great work. Do not come off the wall. Build it to the end. Leave a legacy. Um, For those of you who are uh, teenagers, I I would say the same thing to you. Uh, That you, maybe not teenagers even, but maybe college students, maybe young adults, you know full well what what will bring you success and what will bring you failure. 
You need to dial in on the things that will, that will destroy you or make you. And you need to win on those things. You can't be so easily distracted by those things. Oh yeah, you're cute. Ooh, but I ain't coming down off the wall for that. Oh yeah, you're hot and that looks like a lot of fun. But I ain't coming down the wall for that because God has called me to something great. We're not going to get distracted. We're not going to lose focus because God has called you to something great. And everything in this world wants to take you somewhere else. And you must lock into what God has called you to. You know, there are men and women in this room who are married. I want you to think about this, men. Men, uh, you got that picture on the phone, right? And it's your, it's your wife, it's your kids. Or maybe it's on the desk at work. This is the great work that God has called you to. And I get it. There is temptation. There is distraction. Anybody hear me on that? You, you say, yep, there is. Anybody? How dare you get distracted like that, though? How dare you bow? How dare I bow to temptations that will destroy this great work that God has put inside of me? And, and women in the room, I don't even need to tell you this. But us men, we would be lost without you. Your great work is to fix our mess. <laughs> don't you dare get off track. <laughs> we need you in the game. <laughs> Amen? This is the great work that God has called you to. But if you look at this, it was an amazing thing. Go back and read the story. And uh, the enemies of Nehemiah, they kept coming, and even his friends start to turn on him. You ever been like kind of in a direction and you go, hey, I got my buddies with me. I'm, I'm good with this. And you got that encouragement in your life and then they start to turn on you. They start to think you're crazy for working on this or this whole God thing in your life. It's very discouraging. But Nehemiah did not come off the wall. He did not, he turned back not even for one minute. Listen to what ends up happening in Nehemiah 6.15. It says this. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. Now you go, 52 days is a long time. What? No, no, no. Do the, 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 you realize this wall had been laid in desolation for 100 years? And God stirs in the heart of a man. And 52 days later, the city is born. 52 days later, it's resurrected. 52 days later, the city is, is built and the pride of the people is restored and the faith in the community goes up. 52 days. Now, what's amazing, is, uh, if you watch this, this is what happens in verse 16, chapter 6, verse 16. I'm just going to read it to you because here, here it is. This is amazing. Uh, when all of our enemies heard of this, so all the people are looking around, they're going, oh, this is not a good thing. This is not a good thing. And here's what they say. Listen very carefully. When all the surrounding nations saw it, they lost their confidence. See, they were real confident at first. They were cocky at first that they were going to come and whoop some uh, Jewish butt. But listen to what they realized. This will blow your mind. It says, for they recognized that this had been accomplished with the help of our God. Woo! Now listen, you go through this story. There are no miracles. I mean, they didn't wake up one morning and go, what? That whole section of the wall just appeared. Wow, that's a miracle. No, there was no miracles. There was no lightning bolts, like destroying the enemy. There, there was no earthquakes taking out the bad guys. Nothing like that. There, there are no miracles in this story. But the greatest miracle of all, God with us. 
God with us. That, that when the, the, the story shows that when, when God stirs something in you, when God calls something within you, and if you are faithful, and if you are true, and if you are consistent, and if you, and if you stay focused, and if you dial into what God has, what his voice is calling you to, that God will never abandon you. He will never leave you or forsake you, that he is with you, and he fights with you, and he fights for you. Amen? Amen. And, and friends, this literally... Um, People uh, realize that, that God's thumbprint is all over this. And friends, I want you to realize something that every single, one of the most important things that every single one of us can learn is this, is that God wants to help you. That God wants to strengthen you. But only when you're doing it with God and for God and because of God. He could care very little for some self-absorbed, arrogant project that you got going on. But when he knows that it is for his glory in your life, he says, I'm going to fight that battle with you. I'm going to pick that up for you. I'm going to carry that with you. He does an amazing thing inside of us. Y'all with me on this? I got a great thing that God's called me to do. And I'm not coming down off that wall. Not for you, not for anybody else. Amen? Amen. So because I love you, uh, I'm just going to push you a little bit if you don't mind. Is that okay? Because I love you. Let me tell you something. Just in, in the life of our little community here, some of you drink way too much alcohol and you need to stop. It's ruining your life. It's the thing that God's calling you to right now. Your friends see it, your family sees it, but you do not see it. What, Jay, you got something against alcohol? No. I got tons of stuff against habits destroying people. That's what I got. And you're letting it destroy you. You need to stop. You need to get help. Well, I've been praying about it. Well, you need to stop praying about it and go get help. You need to go and confess your sin to somebody else. You need to go and ask a mentor, a counselor, somebody to help you through it. Some in this room... You're addicted to prescription medications. Whoa, Pastor Jay, I got a prescription. I got a doctor. I understand all that. I understand that nobody gets up one day and says, hey, I want to become addicted to medication. Nobody does that. And you might have had a valid reason, but it has become something else in your life. I know, I talked to many of us around here. And you don't even know how it happened. It just happened. And you need to get help. You need to make it right. You need to stop. You need to confess this. You need to find a mentor. Some of you in this room, some of us need to stop smoking. Well, is smoking the worst sin? Nope. But you know God's called you to it. And God's put you up on that as a wall and says, you better build that wall. You better overcome this. You better defeat this. You better make sure this happens in your life. You better stop that thing that's controlling your life. It's hard. I know. But God fights with you. He fights with you. Some of you are like 16 years old and you're smoking. And the only people who know are like three of your buddies and you're out back behind the church. I know I see you. <laughs> your parents don't know. You need to go tell your parents. Listen to me. You need to go tell your parents. Well, they will freak out. 
Yeah, they will. They're your parents. We're supposed to freak out when things are hurting our children. We do not want you to die. Do you get it? Go, go make it right. There, there are some in this room, there, there are some in this room, you're addicted to stuff on the internet like Pastor Chris talked about last week. You're addicted to pornography and it's got to stop in your life. It is ruining you. It is becoming a cancer to your soul. It is growing and growing and growing inside of you. You can't even think healthy anymore about sex and about women in your life. It's destroying who you are. You need to stop it. You need to stay focused on this and win and defeat this. You need to confess it to a friend, to a mentor, to one of your pastors, to somebody who will hold you accountable and cause you to go where you cannot go on your own. We need, we need to fix this stuff, friends. Um, some of you in this room, you've made the decision, um, you need to make a decision that takes like a Nehemiah level of determination to win in your life. You need to focus in in such a way that the spirit of God will meet you and carry you all the way through. Um, so, so some in this room, you, you, you're letting a boy, a, a young man, take you away from where God wants you to go. You're, you're living with somebody outside of marriage. And, he, and he's said to you, oh, this will be the first step in together forever. Bull. You are outside of the will of God. And you know it. If you're a Christian, you know this. It is not healthy and you will not become the man or woman that God wants you to become. We got to stop thinking with what's in our pants. Can I say that in church? It's true. It's absolutely the truth. It will destroy you. We got to let God's spirit lead us to become who we are supposed to become. Um, See, the thing about this whole Nehemiah story is that none of us will realize what God wants to do in us until we go to where God wants us to go. Amen. Go where he wants you to go and he will meet you. So Jesus, we come before you and uh, in, in your word, you, you, you tell those of us who, um, who believe, you, you tell those of us who are people of faith, you say, keep your eyes fixed, focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so God, we confess right here, right now that we have not done such a good job of this. We've been easily distracted by the angel of light. We've heard your voice. We've heard your leadership. We started up the wall, started building. But when the first sign of temptation came, we fell. And we've stayed off the wall. God, would you forgive us? Would you call us again? Would you... Would you compel us back to where you want us to be? God, do a mighty, mighty work inside of us. Do inside of us what we cannot do for ourselves. Meet us as we try to meet with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.